Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. My name is Michelle Byrne. I'm, I'm here with my host, co-host Glenn Fitzpatrick. Um, and this is The Week at Work. We, um, as always, are going to have a look at the weekend papers and some sto- so, some other stories from the week from a left perspective. Um, and as you all probably know at this point, The Week at Work is a part of Left Block, a political education project and media project. And you can find out more information and support us on patreon.com slash leftblock without the K. So getting straight into it, Glenn, what have you been looking at this week? I know there's been a lot happening, a lot of strange uh, opinion pieces um, that you might want to um, comment on. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Michelle. Uh, and hope you're keeping well. I hope everybody else out there is keeping well. It's rotten now Sunday. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's probably only one place to start. Uh, hint is in the name in terms of, you know, looking at things from a left perspective, left block, uh, without the K, as you say. Um, and I suppose the the protests took, took place as a dollar uh, during the week. Um, look, don't want to focus too much too too much in on on the individuals or I suppose the motives or lack of motives uh, or some of the you know the debased nature of what they were showing. But I think more so that you know from a left perspective, what's interesting is looking at the fallout from it and looking at I suppose how the people who shape uh, public opinion who sort of foment common sense and who, you know, people generally look to to make sense of these things to look at how they're all responding. Um, I know we kind of joked offline earlier in the week about like, oh, you know, the, the false equivalences and the both sides are going to be coming thick and fast. Um, I suppose I didn't think they were going to come this fast, but it's like, it's like when you look into, uh, you know, a lucky bag and all the bits that you respect, it's like, oh, they're all there. There's, there's David Davenport on News Talk. There's Matt Cooper in the Daily Mail. There's Brenda Perra and the Mail on Sunday. There's um, you know, Brendan O'Connor both on the radio this morning and on the Sunday Independent. And it's like drink every time you hear, you know, one of them say Jobstown. Um, or you know, just every time like every time that that some element that's linked to like an anti-immigrant or a homophobic or or a far right sort of thing happens, they have to create this like bogeyman on the on the far left to basically create this equivalence, you know, and it's it's really off the charts. Uh, so I was just kind of doing a, a whistle stop tour uh, of, of kind of the, the coverage across the Sundays in, in relation to that, you know. Um, and then it's kind of one, you know, just a few voices of reason. Um, you know, obviously Gene Carrigan, kind of simple enough to kind of go to him of a Sunday and find stuff to agree with, you know. Uh, but I thought it was interesting because um, there is also a story that um, there's kind of agreement between Drew Harris and the... Justice Minister Helen McEntee in terms of like taking a hands-off approach to dealing with them. So the whole thing is that they don't want to uh, kind of lean into their playbook and that, you know, a heavy-handed response from the guards is essentially what they're after. Um, and Gene Kerrigan's view is that actually, if if you're like even talking about them having a playbook and you're basically giving them that space, you're essentially legitimizing them as actors and you're treating them as, you know, as a legitimate part of kind of the public space and stuff like that. So um yeah i mean there's a hell of a lot of conversation happening about what happened outside the doll this week so much to the point that there's nobody talking about really what's going on in the budget uh so you know brilliant distraction for for fianna fáil fianna gael uh and, and the green party in terms of you know being able to probably put through a budget that's that's not really going to produce any kind of a game changer for you know the, the housing and healthcare and everything else that we know that we need to uh adjust um and then there's just some absolutely bad shit like takes uh i mean you know, sometimes you think people are okay. Yeah, you've got people like Matt Cooper who, you know, there's an element of bad faith there. They don't like the left. If the push came to shove, they would definitely side with, you know, the radical right and the radical left on things. And then you kind of have, you just kind of have like, you know, your died in the wall, Fianna Fowlers who like, 
to the Kian Carla, uh, Shauna, for our real in, in, in interview today, uh, basically said, like, you know, there's a reason why people don't really like us. And us politicians, we have to be, you know, mindful of how we talk to each other in Dodd And so basically politicians have to be civil to each other. So it's kind of this cult of civility thing. So what he's basically saying is, you know, if if Mary Lou and, and Leo are in the chamber, you know, backbiting one another and scoring points off each other, that somehow that's going to lead to, you know, scenes like we saw during the week. It's going to lead to more of those scenes, which I mean... <laughs> If, if, if it's at that level that if, if all we need to kind of keep the peace on the streets is for politicians to say please and thank you, then, you know, everything should be rosy, <laughs> really. Um, Honourable mention to Alice O'Connor, uh, who decided that she thought that uh, Hillary Clinton's use of basket of deplorables to, to describe Trump voters uh, was an, an, an appropriate thing to bring into the conversation here. I mean, that obviously worked out really well for Hillary Clinton when she just drove people into the hands of Donald Trump, for example. So, you know, even sometimes if the cynic in me thinks that, yeah, some of these columnists, they feel completely unaffected, they're happy enough to kind of stir the pot, but then sometimes they just throw out a clueless line like that when oh, actually there's actually just a, a level of, of, of idiocy there. Like they'll just throw these things out there and not realise that their words have meaning, you know? So, sorry, I know I've gone on an awful lot there. Um, I'll wrap it up by sort of saying... Uh, aside from having a pretty poor panel on it this morning, uh, Brendan O'Connor, uh, his piece on the front of the Sindo, um, he starts off by calling them the so so called far right, and ends it by sort of talking about how we need to bring people along with us and to not dismiss out of hand everybody who has concerns about whether it's trans rights or uh, immigration, and and to not dismiss them out of hand as um as being you know whatever. So. Um, there's kind of like this tug of war in the mainstream between wanting to condemn the uncivil nature of it, but also, you know, important to to, to not allow the, the left to come out smelling like roses like this. Uh, and yeah, as I said, drink every time you hear Jobstown. Yeah, like I think, like I actually couldn't get over the amount of times I had seen Jobstown. It was almost like a coordinated, they all got into a room and decided, right, let's use this example now uh, and just repeated ad nauseum in different um opinion pieces but yeah mad that they're trying to conflate this you know like god help people fighting back against water charge you know about water charges comparing to people who are trying to whip up hate and division in our communities like the very opposite like it's just it the mind boggles but like kind of shows again like mainstream media in this kind of regard is just not like they just they they just can't tell the difference and it's just mad like you only hear about like oh activists this and activists that but like what do you actually like you're calling act you're calling these far right actors who like solely uh want to cause like drive hate and comparing them to people who are actually wanting to create community and it's just not the same um and as you say i actually think it's a very good point like this this is a very well-timed distraction obviously for the government and as it has been for quite a while i think you know the actions of the far right almost like and probably maybe why there hasn't been much of a intervention in like what's been happening um is because it actually does benefit them like if if we have loads of people who are shouting at each other over who should be housed and who shouldn't um that just benefits the fact that the government are still not actually housing anyone um it's a, as you say a distraction a disruption and just to cause division um and i do think it's important as well to note like the response that's happened both in the media and politically when it comes to the actual policing of what happened in the doll and um, during the week so like obviously immediately it was like what happened there was condemned um you know we saw effigy like people be like with with kind of being hung and pictures like really really hateful stuff like threats of violence essentially um 
at the same time when similar was happening in Cork, for example, in libraries where like people were being harassed in their workplace just because the, the doll is a politician's workplace. But the, the librarians in Cork, like their workplace is the library and they weren't protected there in the same way. In fact, they were and um, people who are going in to cause disruption and, you know, whip up hate were actually facilitated by the guards and walked straight in with the guards. Um, So like, you know, we're seeing like a very... um seen for two very different responses to essentially like very similar things happening and that is you know all ideological as well like who deserves to be protected in this it's like the landlord and political class but the workers um you know they can just do it themselves you know do whatever they fend for themselves and like luckily the trade union movement and community activists did mobilize um in cork and you know showed like really solidarity there and it kind of shows again that it is going to be ourselves who like protect ourselves uh you know rather than the guards in a lot of cases and i guess for me a very topical um one for me to be talking about this and that you know the policing and um and i suppose a kind of segment was segue into maybe another story was around like the policing of like illegal evictions um today uh there was a protest in waterford organized by um Katu, the community action tenants union in waterford um where there was an illegal eviction um a couple of weeks ago that was fully facilitated by the guards never seen anything well i have seen stuff about it and i think that's probably the main problem about it it's not the first time we've seen this um but i guess you know often we see the cases like this in dublin get uh, media where we're you know previously would have been North Frederick Street where we saw guards and balaclavas and well they've learned not to put the balaclavas on anymore um they're still actually facilitating illegal evictions and I guess like it's it's the, again that idea of political policing like you know that particular person who was evicted illegally like had all their rent paid fo- followed all the letter of the law um had already lodged a complaint against the landlord for uh the harassing and intimidation but at the same time when the tenant rang the guards for help the guards actually went against the tenant like one they they did they wouldn't respond initially to the fact that he was being Ill- illegally evicted by five heavies that had come with the landlord representative it was actually the guards who kicked in the door to allow the landlord's representatives to come in so like you're seeing like this very active role in in that as well again it's you know uh we can talk about policing culture. Um, it's an inherently conservative, and that means you know conservatism means you favor private ownership. You fa- you know you have a, a bias in those jobs. Like those Gardaí have a bias not only institutionally. Like obviously, the Garda institution is a conservative institution. It's also upholding the laws of decades of neoliberal policy of Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael. So there's a double whammy there. So they're never going to be on the side of you know, the left, uh, the workers um, and the people who are actually um, on the right side of things. So that's, I think you just kind of seeing like patterns rippling across like, you know, all of these, how things are being policed and how it's actually not just accidental and it's not just an anomaly. It's actually how the system is supposed to work against us. So um, I think it would be remiss of me not to kind of draw kind of parallels between you know the policing response to happening at the moment and actually I was reading the business post this morning and <laughs> of all the, the days and they're to- all talks everyone's talking about like policing like this week obviously around like the far right protests like talking about policing of um, illegal evictions in Waterford but there's actually a puff piece 
Um, uh, well, it's it's essentially a puff piece in the Business Post. Um, top cop in the lot in uh in the line of fire, but the whole thing is talking about how uh you know the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris, um, and all of his great experience of decades in the PSNI, and you know he's comes from a policing family where his dad was in the uh the RUC, the and like. You know, obviously they're ta- they're kind of coming off the back of it as well. Like I think we we spoke about it on the podcast before, but the um the guards guard association actually did a a motion of no confidence, and it was like ninety eight percent of guardies said that they were, di- didn't have any confidence in them. But at the same time, you know, the Business Post here are writing about how you know Drew Harris is going to reform corruption and all that and like maybe there maybe that maybe that is happening there's quite a few people who are being suspended from the the service because of uh different complaints since he has come into place but at the same time uh it's just very like why are we doing why are we doing put piece on Drew Harris the same day that everyone's talking about policing and I know obviously that um poll came out but what we saw then was Minister Helen McEntee coming out and saying I have full confidence Drew Harris what um, this is the same that, though, isn't it yeah, it was the same. It was literally the same. It's like, yeah, watch your back. Yeah, but like it was literally the same day that we had to release a statement in Cathy Waterford to say, like, this is the state of the action. Here's a list of 10 things that the guards did. Um, you know, like, you know, if you're saying you full confidence to your Harris, you're saying about the institution as well. And like, I fairly say that do not have full confidence in the guard institution as it is. But also, the policing authority came out and did a, a similar statement. So they're all obviously told, right, get out. Um, you know, clean this up. Um, you know, I don't know some some, just so many things going on there, linking together around that police and peace, and how people are just willing to jump and say, "Oh yeah, no, Drew Harris, great man." It's you know the guards are right and all this, but like Jesus, uh, badly time, badly badly time, considering everything, the conversation around policing that's happening at the moment. Mm. I think actually, um, funnily enough, I, I don't know, was it back before the start of the summer? So his predecessor, Noreen O'Sullivan, I think she was like asked to like task to chair a task force on um, the safety of politicians in Ireland. So um, this is obviously Noreen who lost all of the yeah. iPhones and, you know, had to resign in disgrace and everything like that. So um, yeah, that, that will uh, dovetail nicely in, 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 I imagine in a few weeks, a month's time when we have to hear from uh, <laughs> Drew Harris's predecessor on how his current, her, 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 her successor is, failing in his current role to protect politicians um well but- well the, well they were able to announce just this week that they're doing a review of security on the Oireachtas immediately so if they can jump that quickly for that um and I was actually reading as well uh during the week about you know the North Frederick protests that happened in 2019 uh where the lads of the the guards of the Balaclava came out and all there was because of the public pressure there was um a review and investigation done on that and there was a report with recommendations that one was never published so complete lack of transparency as to what that review actually said but two when there was a report done into oh what what has happened with that review none of the information in the review has been shared with any of the departments so there's been no learnings no nothing whatever um but yes so we can sit on you know uh the learnings of when the guards are clearly in the wrong um but we can absolutely jump to probably hire more guards and just actually very nicely timed before the budget. So you know what? The guard reps are going to be coming out now saying like, we need more money. We need more resources. This how much is going to cost to put X amount more guards um in front of the doll and all that. But sure, there's always something. Um, 
but that budget is increased at nearly every year. It's ridiculous. Um, so this is just another opportunity now for the the Garda lobby to jump just in time for budget to ask for more money. Perfect for them. And you, so you were down at the the, the demonstration there today. Um, in relation to the response to that, that eviction, weren't you? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So I was actually down at that process. It was outside the Garda station in Waterford. Um, and essentially like what the, the the guards have not been responding to the media uh inquiries about why they were involved in the eviction and actually just kind of saying that they had no involvement where there is like video footage everywhere showing them actually bringing the landlord's heavies into the house and like giving them a guard of honor as they took all of the tenants uh possessions out and allowed a locksmith to change the locks while overseen so uh it was great to see a real like um cross a group of people so obviously there was like Cashew Waterford but also the trade unions came out in support and like showing that kind of solidarity across tenants and uh, workers is really important because obviously like tenants rights are workers rights and vice versa um but the the tent was there still injured from the illegal evictions the guards facilitated and the whole point of the protest is obviously there's a list of um questions where the guards had like in- illegally involved themselves um that were uh, delivered in a letter to the guards today so um there was a lot of noise being made uh, in Waterford today in the rain um outside the guard station and um yeah, so the, 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 there will be, um, you know, follow up from that. There's also a public petition being launched um, to, uh, you know, stand against legal eviction. So I take uh, I would encourage people to kind of follow Catty Waterford and see what the next steps are there, because there was definitely a, tr- uh, a promise made that if the guards don't respond or launch an investigation that uh, Catty Waterford will be back outside again. So uh, watch that space. I think we should, because, I mean, particularly in light of what happened at the dawn on Wednesday, um, and if you are talking Waterford about, you know, cooperation at a community level between the likes of Katu and trade unions, for example, and if it does reap many results, I mean, surely that's the model. And like, I know, in fairness, there are people in Dublin anyway who are working towards those ends. Um, but, you know, I think that, that we'll be all watching with bated breath to see if you can get a result down there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I think like that, that repeated behaviour of the guards being actively involved in illegal evictions and like ignoring their own procedures around the it just we can't stand by and let it happen because you know we we all already have as few rights as it is and if we can't even uphold the rights if the guards can't even uphold the rights that we do have like what face what chances do any tenants have and that's why it's so important that we're organizing collectively in ways like this um because as i said the guards aren't protecting us whether it's the fire right coming into the cork libraries or whether it's uh in illegal evictions it's kind of there's a pattern um that can't be ignored I mean, the haste with which that, that Garda decided to arrest the, the protester when the eviction was taking place, for example. Um, yeah. You know, we've obviously heard things about during the austerity years about how, like, um, you know, the first Garda that were kind of gutted as part of the cutbacks were the community level ones. And, I mean, you're wondering, I mean, what level are they actually going into Templemore? And is it kind of like, you know, collect six crisp packets and become a guard? Or is there any kind of, you know, engagement with them at a training level in terms of, uh, you know, not not be some level of restraint probably required there, but I mean going from zero to a hundred, and I mean the level of aggression that was was on, on display in that video was 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 pretty stark. Like, yeah, but look, you can't uh, you can't out train ideology, like you can't out train like conservatism, which is always going to be part of the guard of force. So like you know, obviously there's lessons to be learned and like things that need to be changed. And yes training or whatever but honestly like how do you like change the whole culture of policing you know uh i don't i don't know if it's if it's going to happen in temple more now but you know 
maybe it's a start. Maybe we should chair a commission on the culture of policing. We talk to Noreen O'Sullivan whenever she's done with her her, her current uh, <laughs> uh, mixer. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to see what happened in in, uh, in in Waterford in relation to how that uh, develops. Um, might just um see if we can steer the ship because I know like it's going to be stories in housing every week. Um, and sometimes these stories kind of stack up well against each other. Um, but I know we were both kind of talking off air. There was a good piece. Uh, I know again in the business post and trust me, listeners, we do read uh, things other than the business post as well. But it's just I suppose in fairness, when Killian Woods, Killian Woods is writing, there's usually stuff worth reading. But there's a big piece there this week. Um on uh, I suppose how Dublin's become a city essentially that nobody lives in um, and I suppose I just thought it was a really interesting piece in, in, in context of absolutely ludicrous notions like Ireland is full for example um, and I suppose it's, it looks at the proliferation of office space in Dublin over the last number of years um, I'm sure you remember like when you know there wasn't a house being built in Dublin um, you know in the middle of the last decade and, and all you could see going up the Liffey was uh, was cranes building office blocks and there was this real kind of like, you know, patronizing tone coming from, funnily enough, a lot of the same kind of types of voices that get interviewed for this piece, but it's very much, I'll be sure people don't want to be living in the city. People don't need to be living in the city. That's where people commute. And the, and the city is for office workers and it's for tourists. And that's the way that it has to be. And anybody who, who talks about living above shop fronts or who, you know, talks about potentially having, you know, cost rental in, in in the city center no you're 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 from a different time and now there's been like this pivot back to trying to like you know repurpose a lot of these uh commercial uh properties for for residential um and um, but there's some fellow from uh bmp paribas there saying hold your horses like the office market's got a bottom out soon don't go building too many houses there we're going to need those office blocks back in a few in, in 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 a few short years you know um but i think you know it's 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 an interesting and, and a sad tale of how dublin's been kind of destroyed in that regard. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of the same people who told us that we didn't want people living in the city are now saying, oh yeah, we can repurpose them. But they're also saying, don't do too much of it because, you know, our our, our office workers are going to be needed there when they're, they're told by the bosses that they have to go back, I suppose. Yeah, it's that whole thing of like, um, as you say, like they're saying, oh, we don't want that. We people don't want to live in Dublin, but what we what what we do apparently want is tons of vacant office spaces. So, like if that's an, another one. Um, but there is another story as well, actually, on housing in the Business Post. Um, coming from a different angle. Um, and it's talking about how city managers are worried about council tenants being let rent rooms tax free. So it's an interesting one. There was uh, at the start of the year, there was um a piece um around allowing council tenants to rent out rooms tax-free so like some council houses have might have a spare room and they kind of what do they call them they call them uh under occupied it's because they have spare bedrooms so this idea that like if you're a council tenant you could actually rent out the room um and have that like tax-free rent in the same way that if you were uh, a private owner of a house and you had a spare room um you can rent it out and have tax-free the idea is like obviously to use up spare rooms um, but now the city, the, so the the city managers are actually pushing back on this. They're saying like we've loads of worries about this. Like, oh, what what if someone was in rent arrears and they were earning money in from their spare room? Or what if uh, what was the other thing they said? What if um, you know, a council tenant died and what would we do with the person in the other room and renting the room and like, you know, what would happen then? God forbid they'd they'd actually stay in the room and it's just like <laughs> you're. They st- they're still using the room like someone who needs a whole like a room is staying stay in the room but one thing that they were that was really interesting was around they questioned 
how would we deal with disputes? Because under the rent a room scheme, um, people really don't have any rights um, and they don't have a right to complain to the residential tenancy board. So the councils are worried, oh God, we have to start dealing with disputes between the, the council tenant and people who are renting the room off the council tenant, like, you know, that kind of uh, RT, RTB kind of role um, if you're in private, um, if you're, you know, if you're in, if you're renting from a private uh, owner. But it's very interesting because as as it's described in this article, uh, the CCMA is the kind of the 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 kind of group that are the management, the city managers, are described as a powerful lobby. Now, if this powerful lobby can push back so much on this scheme or push forward in a way where they can actually bring in a mechanism where people who are doing rent a room relief can actually like have some sort of structure that they can use like an RTB type thing where they have actually might have some rights. It'd be great to have them on side lobbying for the same thing because, you know, students, for example, for years um, who would be typically uh, using rent-a-room schemes where, you know, they might live with the family for the, the term or whatever, they have no rights at all. They can be evicted uh, with no notice um, and really don't have a leg stand on. They have no way, way to complain. And actually, interesting enough that uh illegal eviction in waterford used the same excuse they were like oh it's a rent room but like it's a one bed apartment so where's the landlord living but try to use that in order to like reduce the amount of rights like to zero that the tenant had so you know if anything comes from this really weird well it's not weird but the, the city manager is pushing back on this council um council house being allowed to rent rooms tax-free obviously like it'd be great if it did go ahead but um the piece about uh them worrying about how would you uh, sort a landlord tenant dispute in the case of a rent a room could actually benefit if they're getting on side and lobbying for some sort of mechanism there to protect people in those situations. Great, great. Get on board with that. Um, because apparently there's such a powerful lobby. So we'll see now if that if there if the ears are picked up on that and there's a solution to that because that would actually help quite a lot of people who are in very precarious situations living in those um types of schemes well they're all it's all well and good to promote it as oh this is great it's tax free for the landlords we're not actually saying to tenants who are in who are renting from there oh yeah this is terrible you've absolutely no right so it would be good to see that kind of move forward and maybe some solutions to address that um for everyone not just people in the council um houses who might be availing of it yeah, in fairness, actually, it's probably worth a mention um, that I mean the students, you know, they've been pushing for regulation in the dig space um, in advance of the budget. Uh, probably not going to happen. My understanding is that the, that Simon Harris's department are kind of kind of produce kind of guidelines for homeowners in terms of you know how they can come to an understanding with the person that's not a not a, not a tenant but a licensee. Um, and obviously, just there can be quite a low level of knowledge among young people, students, international students, in particular. If they're just trying to get in somewhere ahead of the semester, they don't always consider, am I a tenant, am I a licensee? Um, and I mean, naturally, as a licensee, you've got like no protections whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, uh, the rent room relief scheme does not come at, 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 at a cost free for the taxpayer. Um, you know, 14 euro, uh, uh, 14,000 euro a year tax free, someone can claim back. There's no criteria for that. Like they, 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 they don't have to like, you know, there's no there's no minimum rents they can charge. So you can you can have like a spare room and you can like look at the say like a the monthly rent for somewhere in your room is in your area is like 650 euros. But that might be like a tenancy for seven days a week, and you've got homeowners 
using the rent a room relief scheme to basically get a student in on, on the Sunday night and kick them out on the Friday morning. Um, mm. Off the assumption that they're off home to mommy down the country for the for the, for, for the weekend, but typically, you know, those students might want to stay up in Dublin and 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 earn a few bob to pay for their college fees, or maybe they might be international international students and they can't go home. Um, and it's been it's been kind of unfortunate to see the rent room relief scheme be utilized in such a way where probably not too consciously, but you've got kind of people with a spare room thinking, oh great, I can make a few extra bob here, but they're actually making the price of of accommodation mainly for students, but also for, for workers as well, like more expensive. Um, seen a few sponsored ads on, on, uh, on Facebook where you've got all of these, uh, sort of middle entities now who are trying to connect workers with, uh, people with spare rooms. Um, and like, so there'd be a couple of the, the recruitment agencies, for example, will be doing work with them and they're sort of saying, Oh, are you a healthcare worker working in, you know, the beacon, for example, uh, why don't you check about which which spare rooms are in your area? So it's it's not just students anymore that are trying to get into digs. It's actually seeping into the workplace as well. So, I mean, I know we could do several episodes on 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 the podcast, or sorry, on on housing as a whole, but it just goes to show you how many strands to the housing crisis there are. Mm. Um, despite the fact that we know very much that Ireland isn't full, it's just full of fucking idiots. <laughs> Hashtag yeah. Ireland is full of idiots. Um. I might, I think we have all the bits of the housing stories covered. As you say, we could go on like talking about the whole podcast for on housing and stuff like that. But there is a few other stories that I was reading as well. Um, an interesting one, kind of pivoting more towards the environmental side of things. Um, was in the business post this weekend around the sales of less efficient luxury cars jumped by fifty percent this year. Figures from Revenue Show. So Senator Lynn Ruan, no, sorry, Lynn Boyland from Sinn Féin um, was putting in a request to find out like what what was the story here. And we're finding out now that actually there's huge growth in this area. Um, and, you know, uh, they, like the, they, they were kind of asking, Sinn Féin were asking about it because they're looking at um, policy options for kind of like decentivizing purchase of luxury cars because they're obviously harsher on the environment. Um, because they tend to be larger and all that, even if you are looking at the hybrids or electric, because they are, they are larger, um, they're they're less efficient, obviously. But also then, from a health and safety point of view, like we're t- at the the consequences of their size and their weight, it's really I think you know we there's a wider kind of conversation about that because we're seeing a lot of you know um injuries and death on the road uh particularly recently i've seen quite quite a bit of it and that kind of like talk about how bigger cars and SUVs actually do bring like a safety concern and like how um how kind of aggressive that is on the road if you're a cyclist or um a pedestrian and the impact that that has there's a wider piece there obviously too um but not only that we're also seeing a 20 percent increase in new cars and like this is like to me like uh, like aside from obviously all all of the, the luxury cars as well but this kind of growth in consumption in an area that we're supposed to be reducing is actually quite worrying um and i think maybe something we can talk about more another time but we definitely um need to be looking at how why there's such a growth in that now obviously um you know it, the cost of living crisis are not affecting everyone in the same way um you know there's a minor- minority of people who are obviously doing very well um and that a lot of them are actually profiting from these like gross profits that they're making in areas um that people are squeezed in um 
but yeah and there was a really good point made by in the article around like how like people with higher incomes actually emit more than people on lower incomes and like obviously luxury cars contribute like a lot in that disparity um so like it's interesting to think about like you know if we're talking about a just transition that we actually need to be talking about as well like high-powered cars heavy vehicles all that needs to be decentralized but we've spoke quite a bit on this podcast actually about like the mad ads that we used to read in like about land land rover being like oh we're green and we're you know we're ev and all this where actually these are large vehicles that were just completely greenwashing and we have touched on that you know a few times um but it is it is concerning to see like so many luxury cars now jumping and like you know as some of us are like struggling to pay our electricity bills um other people are spending like nearly quarter mil on some luxury cars because why not they have the cash to flash and they really do not care um about the, the damage of the environment and um, when it comes to that but that is my piece on that um glenn do you have any other stories that you'd like to touch on um too many i'll try i'll try to be selective um yeah i think there's there's just um i mean again i think i'm just sort of thinking back uh to some some things that we heard at Ascolish Clay. And so um the, the keynote speaker on the Saturday evening was Costas Lapovitsas, um, one of the 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 best kind of economic thinkers uh that we kind of have on, on the continent, particularly in the context of I suppose, the role of the EU and 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 I suppose how capitalism kind of changes and develops. And and he gave he gave us a talk about kind of the 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 the, the state of capitalism and it was kind of one of these plays on words and it was Harking back to this whole idea of, I mean, I suppose laissez-faire capitalism and the whole concept of uh, uh, state intervention being a bit of a misnomer, because he was sort of saying, "Well, look at the state is actually actively involved in helping the market where it needs." And this whole idea that the state steps back and kind of lets, you know, competing economic ideas kind of duke it out is 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 really not true. Um, I suppose that there's just a a bit of a reflection this week in the the Sunday Times um, from Brian Carey and John Nile, I think it is, just on um, looking at a bit of an exodus from the Irish Stock Exchange, um, which I know used to be called Isaac, which used to be way cooler to say uh, than Euronext Dublin. Um, but so CRH, um, I think have 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 left of re- left it recently. Flutter Entertainment, which is Paddy Power, are flirting with the idea of potentially uh, leaving the stock exchange too. Uh, if Smurf and Copper were to, were to complete a merger, that would take them off the Irish Stock Exchange and leave them uh, probably in in based in America. Uh, CNC Group actually left uh, the Irish Stock Exchange to go to the to, to the British one uh, in lieu of Brexit because it was basically a distribution issue for them. Um, so I mean the value of the Irish Stock Exchange is basically on a, is going is, is going to uh, go through the floor. Uh, so they're basically talking about how like. Everything that we do in relation to inward investment and sort of how we how how capital markets functions in this country is going to have to change. But there's a line and a, and a quote from the head of corporate banking, a good body, who said, "When a market isn't working, the state has to step up." There you go. Uh, and I just thought that just brought, brought me right back to Inishar and 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 how we were reminded once again that like yeah, I mean it's kind of like um going back into Paddy Power after you know losing your your weekly uh, football accumulator and asking for your money back because like. They've asked for this state intervention and and you know watering down of of kind of social economic rights, and when that hasn't worked or when when you know when when it's it's when when the gig is up, we're going to need to go back to the state and get the state to get more involved. Uh, but it's all premised on the lie that the state wasn't involved to begin with. So, 
Yeah. yeah, I just thought that was an interesting, an, an interesting, but um, few alarm bells going off. I think um, rather than the, it's not what what is the bell that they ring at this, when the stock exchange opens? It's not, it's not an alarm bell, but it might be soon. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, absolutely sounds like it. Yeah. Um, and kind of another story that I was looking at, um is a poll that was released today uh, in the Business Post and it's around um, power sharing in the North. Um, and it's an interesting one, um, obviously, for I don't know, how long is it now? It's a year and a half. Um, there hasn't been any power sharing government in Stormont um, and that means like so much for like people on the ground are being impacted by the lack of policy, lack of action that, you know, can actually happen there for people. Um, but there's kind of like, a wider conversation there about the uh, the Good Friday Agreement and, you know, is it working? Um, and how, like, the DUP um, can just refuse to not um, put forward someone um, and then, therefore, the government does not does not form. Um, and it's interesting because there's there's talks now um, off the back of this poll. So the poll um, says that 39% of people would support changes to the power sharing element of the Good Friday Agreement in order to help unlock this the stalemate um, in Stormont. Um, so that that's a big change, like, you know, and it's something that the British and Irish governments have been trying to avoid talking about maybe actually uh, revisiting the Good Friday Agreement and... Um, you know, rethinking that and how it's working or not working for people. And, you know, many people would say that it hasn't ever really worked for a lot of people um, since its implementation, despite a lot of um, people, you know, coming out and saying how great it was on the 25th anniversary there recently. But um, I think it's interesting because obviously, so the new executive can't be formed without a DUP uh, nomination to deputy first minister. Um, and that means that they can't and and obviously this is coming off the back of them saying, you know, they want changes in the Northern Ireland Protocol. Um, but um, I think it's interesting now because the article is saying that, you know, actually some DUP uh, members of the, you know, of the Assembly, so the politicians there in Stormont are actually privately now in favour of restoring power sharing. And um, they want to get in and, you know, <laughs> do whatever that they do. Um, but at the same time, uh you know, maybe they're feeling the pinch. So there was a there was a cut of salaries of by MLAs because obviously they're not in Stormont by twenty seven percent there in January. Um, it was kind of a form of collective punishment. Um, for the failure to restore power sharing, and maybe maybe people are starting to feel a bit of a that you know that that's getting to them. Um, but also like a year and a half without you know these pe- people have been elected and they can't you know essentially do a core part of their work. Um, so it is interesting. Um, the in the article, it does mention as well, which I think it's important to say that, you know, uh, they they talk about Anglo-Irish relations and they say like, oh, yeah, you can say if we start this conversation with the Good Friday Agreement that that might be a bit strained. But at the same time, you have the British government actually just coming out the passage of the legacy bill last week, giving an amnesty to people who are accused of killings during the Troubles. And like, how is that? We're not considering about, you know, what... Uh, Anglo-Irish relations are then, are we, you know, when, you know, as uh, Sinn Féin TD that's quoted in the article says, absolute disrespect of unilateral action for victims' families and, you know, all the political parties across Ireland and human rights groups by that unilateral move. So it's interesting. There seems to be a lot of conversation now between like the Legacy Bill, the Good Friday Agreement, and actually like 
what a plan B would look like there, which I think is very interesting. And, you know, even the likes of, you know, Leo Varadkar is coming out and saying, you know, what does a plan B look like? And he kind of puts forward like three main options. Um, um, and, and like, actually, it was really interesting to said like the, the, that the political institutions in the North have like since they've been established in the Good, Good Friday Agreement have actually not functioned for 40 percent of their existence. So I don't know how you know, when we hit the 25-year anniversary this year of the Good Friday Agreement, how everyone was coming out and saying, oh, it's great if it actually hasn't functioned for 40% of its existence. Like, that is mad figure. That's the first time I'd read it. But when they talk about um the Plan B, they're looking at, you know, they could do the current kind of civil servant-led government and just allow that to continue. And, you know, that's obviously not working very well for a lot of people. The second option is direct rule from Northern Ireland from Westminster which actually happened before but like obviously that would be terrible um i don't think that is really a very uh a good option either and then the third one um they're looking at uh actually reviewing the terms of the good friday agreement itself so it will be interesting to see um if there that discussion does develop and people do start thinking about changes in the good friday agreement um it's a, it says in the article as well like that they actually could put forward changes um without the total consent of all the parties and like they might necessarily have to have like a referendum to uh to to kind of amend it completely so i think it's one to flag and to ke- like keep a watch on because that's obviously a developing conversation as you know there seems to be absolutely complete deadlock with the, the DUP in the North and having no government there. So um, definitely wanted to flag that one because it's not very often that the uh, papers in the South give a two-page spread about the North, uh, politics in the North. So definitely have to flag it um, as one in the business post. Um, and that poll is very interesting too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean... It's- it's, it's hard to know which which way it's going to end up because it, I mean um we've had um the guys from trademark in the past basically talk about how the DUP have like politically backed themselves into the corner but I mean not too long ago they were supporting the protocol but obviously when it, it got to the point where it was clear that they weren't going to be the main party up there anymore they basically changed their tune on it you know so when you're dealing with that degree of bad faith um sometimes find it funny that the, the the commentary particularly from the south is like they always have to assume that all of the actors are operating in good faith so the analysis ends up just going down this 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 point this this point in this dead end when i mean the first thing that this paragraph should say is these people are operating in bad faith you know uh so i think it's you have to sort of suspend disbelief sometimes when you're reading some of it because they're sort of operating on the basis that all these people have you know the best interests of everybody else at heart but um yeah, that's a that's a, a good uh, summary of that article. No fair play, and good to keep the focus on 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 the the whole islands, even though we're uh we're, we're minus that representation today, unfortunately. Yeah, and actually, while we're on, I have to flag that um left block uh, is actually growing, and we have another podcast now that uh is called North, and specifically talks about issues in the North and history. Um, so it's first episode actually came out this week. So while we just had that little little mention there, I think I want to flag that one as well. So another one for you for years listening. Um, if you're in on a cold Sunday or a rainy Sunday, um, maybe you want to listen stick on another podcast as well. Um, another story that I was reading and actually kind of follows on from the conversation last week. Um, that Claire and Dave are having around um. Russell Brand, uh, there's a piece here around like how 
um youtube now is after kind of intervening and some people might have seen russell brand's video statement that was floating around um that didn't actually address any of obviously a lot of the uh concerns um that have been coming around about his actions but he promotes himself moving off the platform all platforms onto this other platform rumble um and uh, and I think it, within that kind of frame, that conversation, um, a lot of the Google-owned video platforms like YouTube or whatever have actually now removed all his monetization. So now he, they, I, I, I don't know if they're just trying to kind of like move to, because they have actually faced, um, you know, issues previously where people have said they're not responding to people who are spreading hate online. And now they've decided that Russell Brand is coming off and you know it's very interesting to see some of the figures that he was earning from youtube like one million a year um he was earning off youtube talking those videos and the the piece makes an interesting um an interesting observation around you know because the company pays creators like on the platform a share of the revenue that they make from ads and that are shown next to videos the obviously the more controversial it is then the more income is generated because you get more views so i think over time then some some people are in, in like commentary have moved more into more controversy so like if you take for example russell brand he probably started off as a bit you know anti austerity kind of um messaging and now has moved like straight into like global conspiracy theories um and maybe people were kind of saying like that's probably to do with like the mo- money that was coming in off the back of um that shift and obviously other people would say that it's probably to surround himself with people who are not going to question when this particular story these stories are coming out that these um all these allegations that are coming out now from the back of the investigation that was done on him um but while it is like deplatforming um you know it's a tactic that is used and is useful i actually think it, it there's a wider piece here that the article doesn't really address, address you know around you know how like we can't rely on big tech to be making decisions about like you know what information we have or don't have and like you know when you consider like the links between big tech and the government like there's decisions there that could be made that could be worrying you know moving down the future but i think as well like you know big like youtube or whatever come out now and say oh we've decided to make this decision but for years they've made profits off the back of controversial content and the content that will still exist so they might take down trump off twitter they might take off russell brand off youtube but the content that they've created so like that video that russell brand has created is still going to be circulated so that doesn't actually stop the content from growing and actually it's something that i was thinking to myself um over the week um about how even people on the left share information often we are the ones boosting the content of the right and the messages of the right and all of that um, and I think it's something maybe we need to consider um, you know in our own efforts to de-platform bad views and not give them more air and give them more audience because probably inadvertently and like obviously if you're talking about Twitter probably all um, exist in our own little echo chambers on that anyway but often when we're sharing messages to call something out we're actually spreading it wider and spread giving it wider audience and maybe legit legitimizing it more and I always find myself and when I see like Breed O'Brien in the opinion columns of the business post or whatever I'm always like oh god I really want to respond to that because like it's so annoying and so wrong but at the same time 
like maybe I need to check myself too because am I just giving more air and legitimacy to these views so maybe something for us to think about about how we kind of call things out or like share messages that we're trying to like condemn or like give out about because actually we're just spreading them wider and maybe that's why they're written in the first place because we know they're going to cause a reaction that will actually get them even wider um birth so I know some people will sit, like take a screenshot and not share the links so there's not like ad revenue created but at the same time the message is still um getting out there so maybe one for us to consider but just thought it was an interesting one um on the role of big tech in a lot of these uh in like you know the spread of hateful messages or problematic messages and that how that can probably you know how that could go in the future um i'll be worried about you know uh big tech deciding who can and can't do things and you know when they are going to act and when they're not going to act whenever they deem it's you know acceptable for them and unacceptable for them just an interesting one um but again just big money in it they already do i mean like um facebook goes out of its way to censor and to to stifle what you can see based on on your content uh and yeah i mean obviously hear what you're saying in that but it's it sort of feels like we're in a space now where People at the onset of social media were saying, you know, these really important and vital, uh, you know, kind of platforms of, of mass communication that are rapidly changing how we interact with each other, how we do business, how campaigns reach people. Uh, maybe not great to have them all concentrated in the hands of a few billionaires, you know. Um, and now it's kind of it's kind of too far gone. It's very difficult to see how you could actually have like a, a public open, like a, a public alternative to something like Twitter or Facebook. Um but yeah, I mean, obviously, hear everything you're saying in relation to to Russell Brand and that, and I think there's it's good to see there's been some acknowledgement as well that like um you know people sort of see it for what it is. This isn't because the BBC or Rupert Murdoch or YouTube all of a sudden have started to care about you know any victims of sexual assaults. Um, they're they, you know they're very much caring about like the the reach and the impact that Russell Brand has has and and so maybe some of the things that he started to talk about such as the. The war in Ukraine and stuff like that, you know. So um it's good to see the people aren't under any illusions that all of a sudden Rupert Murdoch's uh media conglomerates gotten some sort of a social conscience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um have you any other stories, Ben? Um uh no, look at I mean we've probably depressed people enough and they might <laughs> want to try to go off and get some kind of enjoyment out of their Sunday evening. Um so now look at uh we managed to not mention zombie uh, a rugby for an entire era either. So I think that's that's uh We've earned ourselves a nice little Sunday evening bottle of beer as well. <laughs> yeah, and with that then, uh, this has been a week at work. I want to say thanks to Glenn for um, co-hosting with me today. Um, and as always, like we'd encourage you to share this with your networks um, in your WhatsApp groups. Um, give us a share, give us a like. Any engagement will help us with those big tech algorithms and get our message out there um, a little bit further. So I encourage you to um, share us. Um, and we will be back again next week. So thank you for listening. It's not.